Hello and welcome to the Family Beacon Podcast. This is producer Jack. We have an unusual podcast this week because we decided to cover a press conference regarding recent court rulings. Today you'll hear from concerned citizens and attorneys as they speak out against the overturning of protection for women and girls who obtain abortions. Stay tuned so you can get the facts and stand for truth. Good morning, everyone. My name is Renee Carlson. I'm general counsel for True North Legal, and I'll be emceeing the press conference today. We are here today representing an association of almost 50 women, moms, mothers offering maternal support, who are mothers of at least one minor daughter and have sought intervention in the court's Dovey, Minnesota decision. The moms here today represent a group of mothers seeking to reinstate common sense health and safety protections for Minnesota women and young girls who may obtain an abortion. The district court's decision to strip the state of nearly all power to regulate abortions or create laws that protect young women, our daughters, picture a 12-year-old, is astounding. These are common sense statutes, again, health and safety protections that have been on the books for decades and were enacted by bipartisan legislature. Minnesota moms are defending the legislature's ability to enact laws regulating abortion, such as informed consent, services from well-trained doctors, and the protection of parental involvement, which simply allows parents to support and talk through a significant medical decision with their minor daughters. The Attorney General has stepped aside and now Minnesota moms are stepping in. Moms includes women in the healthcare profession, such as a doctor, nurses, midwives, and an EMT. The press will hear from moms today. We'll begin the state with the statement from lead counsel in this matter, Teresa Collette. You'll then hear from three moms who will share their own compelling personal stories, why this case matters to them, and why they chose to get involved. Finally, you will hear from Dr. Mike Valley via video recording because he was not able to be here today. I'll introduce each speaker and provide a brief introduction before they speak. We'll probably wrap up around noon and then we'll take questions following speakers. I'll begin with Teresa Collette, who is lead counsel in this matter. Teresa has extensive experience in constitutional litigation and is often asked to represent the interests of government officials before federal appellate courts. She has also served as Special Attorney General for the states of Oklahoma and Kansas, as well as assisted other state attorneys general in defending laws that protect the health and safety of women and young girls, such as the laws at issue in this case. She will give you an overview of the facts in this case, why it matters, and why moms need to be involved. Thank you, Renee. This is an important case, and the reason my clients approached me is because on, January, on July 13th, pardon me, July 13th of this year, a district court in Ramsey County determined that six important laws regulating abortion in the state were unconstitutional under the state constitution. This is true notwithstanding that they would be clearly constitutional under the federal constitution and were constitutional even when Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey was in effect. The laws that the court struck down include a requirement that two parents be involved, notified only, not give consent, be involved in their minor daughter's decision making, 
after the girl has received important information regarding the abortion procedure, as well as the opportunity to assess resources that might be available for her to make an alternative decision. This is information that every woman needs, and yet the court, based on a virtually uncontested evidentiary record, found that women were certain when they approached an abortion clinic, as well as teenagers being certain of their decision, and that women didn't need the information about alternative resources or about particular risks of particular procedures or the existence of fetal pain after 20 weeks of gestation. In addition to that, the court struck down the ability of abortion providers, I'm sorry, not abortion, but the ability of parents to counsel with these young children during the 48 hours after the girl received the information. It struck down the 24-hour waiting period so that women who received the information, much of which could have been conveyed by telephone, could reflect on their decision. We have introduced, with our motion to intervene, declarations from experts across the country showing that many women obtain abortions because of the coercion of their sexual partners, that victims of sex trafficking are often forced to procure an abortion in order to keep business, keep in the business. We have also provided expert testimony that establishes that there are significant differences between minors and adults in making decisions under stressful situation. What is astounding to me is in the three years of litigation in this case, the Attorney General failed to contest that simple fact, a fact that every parent of a teenager in this state knows. Teenagers make different types of decisions often risky decisions. They're more susceptible to stress and to pressure. And yet the Attorney General let that alleged fact on the part of the plaintiffs go through without contesting the issue. In the 80-page opinion of the District Court, the judge used the phrase either unrebutted evidence or no evidence 12 times to describe the Attorney General's conduct in this case notwithstanding his three years to provide evidence that would controverse these highly controversial facts. In 43 days after his announcement of the appeal, this group of moms, through counsel, working with a team, located and procured evidence from 11 of the nation's experts, contesting virtually every fact that the judge's ruling was based on. We are optimistic that the district court judge will in fact allow us to enter the case, reopen the judgment, and allow us to defend these laws that the Attorney General failed to defend. Thank you. Now you will hear from Jessica Chastik, the mom's representative, who will share why moms got involved in this case and why the challenged laws matter specifically highlighting mom's concerns about the impact that this decision has on their parental rights and parental involvement in critical medical decisions as significant as abortion. Jessica. Thank you, Renee. My name is Jessica Chastik. I'm a mother of six, including three daughters. My children range in age from five to 16. I'm a member of MOMS, and we support this effort for many reasons. We are concerned about girls being exploited by sexual predators and then being further exploited by the abortion industry when they go to a clinic to get their, to get 
rid of the evidence of the exploitation and criminal sexual conduct. Young girls need to be protected from abusers, but this change in law actually enables and protects abusers. Further, we are deeply troubled that our daughters could undergo a serious medical procedure that we, their mothers, know nothing about. When our daughter is dealing with significant depression as a result of the trauma of abortion, but we have no idea of what caused the trauma, we have no idea that she's had an abortion, how are we supposed to help her? What if I found my daughter doubled over on the couch and she tells me, it's just a bad period, mom, but in fact, she's having complications from a surgical abortion. Perhaps she's hemorrhaging or she's developing a toxic infection. I don't know to look out for these symptoms. How am I supposed to help her when this critical information has been withheld from me? As moms, we find these, these unanswered questions very troubling. Regardless of one's position on abortion, every parent in this state should be concerned that fundamental parental rights to be notified of, participate in, and give consent to medical care for our minor children, our daughters, are being taken away. Not only does this decision rob parents of these crucial rights, but it also fosters a culture of deceit, secrecy, and shame that is destructive of healthy family relationships. It severs a parent-child relationship at precisely the time when our daughters need us most. The effects of the court's decision to strike down existing laws about abortion does not protect the rights of women or young girls. Rather, it protects predators and it strips parents, such as these moms that you see behind me and the almost 50 other moms in our group, of fundamental rights. Thank you, Jessica. Next year, you will hear from Barb Waldorf, who is also a member of MOMS. She's concerned about how the court's decision in Dovey, Minnesota will impact her ability to parent her own daughter. She shares that concern with the mothers who are standing here next to her. She also represents a family legacy of clear bipartisan support for the legislative safeguards that were intended by the common sense laws that were struck down by the court. Her father-in-law is former legislator Gene Waldorf, who was a Democrat in the state legislature and was the author of the parental notification bill. Barbara. Hi, my name is Barb Waldorf. And I stand here today on behalf of many moms and parents in this state who are concerned about the court's decision to remove common sense health and safety laws that protect women and young girls seeking to obtain an abortion. As moms and parents, we cannot sit idle when our rights to engage in critical medical decisions that will affect the physical and emotional health of our daughters are being stripped away. In 1981, my father-in-law, Gene Waldorf, a Democratic state senator from the east side of St. Paul, authored Minnesota's parental notification bill. I'm here today to honor his memory and his legacy because what was true then is still true today. Parents need to know what their children are facing serious situations. At the time the bill was drafted, 
He and other supporters of the bill were not trying to put restrictions on abortion. They simply felt the parents had a right and a responsibility to be aware of major medical procedures that their minor children might have. The, broad, the bill had broad support from the public as well as a good amount of bipartisan support. The language of the bill was carefully chosen because at its core it wasn't about whether you were pro-life or pro-choice. It was about protecting the health and safety of young women and girls. My mother and father-in-law had a large family. As in the case of most large families, the siblings have grown up and made their own choices. Being pro-life ties our family together, no matter what other differences we might have. The same is true of my own family. I have seven children and four daughters. As a parent, I want my daughters protected. As you can see, I share that desire with other moms. It's important that parents know when their children are facing serious situations. And it is clear from the laws that are now in jeopardy that the legislature intended for that as well. Thank you. Thank you, Barb. Now you'll hear from Susan Neville. She's also a member of Moms, a mother of five, including two daughters. She's also the daughter-in-law of Tom Neville, former Republican state legislator and co-author of the Parental Notification Bill. She will also testify to the bipartisan support for parental engagement in their young girls' medical decisions, but her story doesn't end there. Her own journey of an unplanned pregnancy as a young woman has been informative and precipitated her own concern for the court's decision to strike down laws that simply allow for parents to support their daughters at a time when she needs them most. Susan. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my perspective on this topic. My husband, John, and I have five children, and we live in St. Paul. Nearly 18 years ago, I experienced what we would call a crisis pregnancy. Unplanned and unexpected, unmarried and unprepared. My story is a happy one, call it what you will. I, I call it grace. My husband, John, is the second son of Tom and Marilyn Neville. Most anyone here at the Capitol would remember Tom. He served as a state senator representing District 25 for 17 years, and in 2008 was appointed judge. In 2018, he retired, bravely battling cancer until his passing this past January. Tom was well-liked and known by colleagues across the full political spectrum to be fair, thoughtful, well-spoken, accessible, and honest. Tom was a Republican. And in 1990, he successfully ran on a pro-life platform in Northfield, Minnesota. He was reelected six times. Tom and Marilyn believed in the sanctity of life and in defending the rights of the mother and the unborn. They shared this view openly, courageously, and without judgment. Tom's legislative record reflects this commitment, especially in a bill he co-authored, the very one which was declared unconstitutional this past summer. Tom and Marilyn taught my husband that life is a sacred gift, whether planned or unplanned, convenient or disruptive, sought or welcomed. When we found ourselves in that situation, we were given support and encouragement. 
Although we were adults with jobs and fully capable of managing on our own, we benefited from the counsel, insight, and advice from those who knew us best and would still be around to see us through. I know that our story does not reflect the experience that many face today, but I am standing here as a benefactor of the principles that Tom's legislation was designed to safeguard. That in times of crisis, when one decision will have a lifelong life or death consequence, women, regardless of the precipitating circumstances, have a right to the best support and information available. I mentioned that John and I now have five children, and that includes two teenage girls. As we embark on the new school year, I face a growing stack of permission slips and release forms for sports, clubs, and activities. I'm required to supply the name of another adult to contact in case of emergency to advise on treatment if I'm unreachable. Without adult permission, my kids cannot go on a field trip, have their photo taken, or receive basic dental care. They cannot be vaccinated or be served ice cream. What I would like to understand is how it would make any sense to ask that that same child decide whether or not to have an abortion. Wouldn't this be the most critical time to ensure that she has the best support available, most likely her own parents? And isn't it in her best interest to have a structure in place to help her along the way and in the years ahead as she carries on in life? I believe that the answer is yes. Parents must be notified before performing or even discussing the option of abortion. Would we ever choose to make an important decision with less information rather than more? Anyone could agree that it is not pleasant to learn about the details involved in receiving a tooth filling or the pain we might experience afterward, but it would be far more jarring to accept the treatment plan without knowing what to expect and how to prepare. A filling can be replaced or removed, but a life ended through abortion cannot be revived. I believe that all women, especially those underage, should be empowered with a complete understanding of the important aspects of any medical procedure, and especially one that is irreversible, potentially life-ending, and bearing lifelong consequences. And many bipartisan legislators agree with me as they work to create laws that ensure the safety of women and young girls. It is astounding that one court decision could wipe that all away. When faced with an unplanned pregnancy, it is essential to ensure that women are empowered to make the best decision, the most important decision for themselves and for the life growing within. Thank you. You will now hear from Dr. Michael Valley, who is a board-certified urogynecologist and obstetrician gynecologist at Western OBGYN. He serves many pregnant women, including women experiencing unexpected pregnancy and some who are even considering abortion. He will explain how laws such as informed consent, waiting periods, and parental notification protect the health and safety of women and young girls. He could not be here with us today I am Michael Valley, an obstetrician who cares for pregnant patients, some of whom are experiencing an unexpected pregnancy and are considering abortion. Minnesota has had in place laws that have helped, I believe, protect the safety of those women 
and provide them with a layer of protection. One of those is the parental notification provision for minors. Minors have a decision-making process that is not mature and can benefit from parental adult involvement. Minors who undergo other medical procedures are required to have parental involvement and sometimes consent before they undergo the procedure, and abortion should be no different. Having this provision also provides the opportunity for parents and potentially law enforcement to be aware of relationships that may be coercive or threatening for the minor involved. Another provision that provides a layer of protection for women is the provision that physicians only provide surgical abortion procedures. Physicians have the training during residency that is extensive for this procedure and especially also have training in managing the complications, sometimes life-threatening, that can occur at the time of this procedure. Non-physicians do not have that training and it is a disservice to women to have someone perform a surgical procedure who is not able to manage potentially life-threatening situations and complications that can occur during the procedure. You've heard from lead counsel in this case, Teresa Collette. You've heard from medical expert, Dr. Valley. But most significantly, you've heard from three moms representing nearly 50 moms concerned about the health and safety of their minor daughters. And as women begin to learn about this group and what's happening in this state, there are more women that plan to join and get involved in moms. When we say moms and parents are concerned about the health and safety of their minor daughters, this isn't just a hypothetical. These are real parents. These are real Minnesota moms with real experiences that share a deep concern about the severing of the parent-child relationship from a time when their daughters need them most. These moms are deeply concerned about how Doe v. Minnesota decision impacts their rights as parents and again could impact their young daughters as young as 12, 11 years old. As you've heard, moms assert the right to privacy does not mean abortions cannot be regulated to protect the health and safety of women and young girls that may be seeking an abortion. Actually, most Minnesotans don't, ex don't support an extreme abortion regime like the one Doe v. Minnesota imposes on this state. Moms, as well as many other Minnesotans, support common sense laws like the ones that were struck down by the district court. Those voices are not being represented in this case. That's why mom's intervention is critical. This concludes our presentation and we will now take questions from the press. Is there any reason that uh, you chose waiting until basically the last day to, to file a petition to intervene in this case? Uh, I know that there was another that just got tossed um, and I think one of the judge's concerns was that uh, this other petition intervene was, you know, kind of came a bit late. So, um, you know, the loss has been going for about three years. So. Indeed, in this particular instance, the members of this association, like all Minnesotans, we rely on our attorney general and state officials to defend and uphold the laws and constitution of the state. They had no reason to expect that the attorney general would 
allow an evident, uh, a record with no evidence co uh, contesting some of the outrageous claims made by the plaintiffs. And it was only after the judge issued his opinion on July 11th and his judgment on July 13th that it became apparent that that had occurred. The judge himself multiple times says there was no evidence submitted by defendants. It was unrebutted that plaintiffs had evidence. And then there was at least a hope, if not expectation, that given the legal standard that the judge adopted, which is completely unique in American abortion jurisprudence, that the attorney general would appeal the opinion, and yet he renounced that uh, 17 days later. So, in fact, I can think of almost no other case where in 43 days uh, an intervener has sought and received expert opinion from 11 national experts. Yesterday we submitted hundreds of pages of expert opinion. We were more than timely. So maybe this leads into why you, you might be able to explain a little bit more about why you think that this, this petition to intervene uh, might succeed uh, despite you know, the, the other group getting, uh, getting dismissed or not having its uh, petition granted by Judge Gillian. Why do, you, why do you think that this one has a, has a, is a stronger, or I mean, maybe you don't think it's stronger, maybe you just think it's different, but I mean, what's, what, makes, what sets this one apart? What do you think is going to make this succeed? I, I understand your question, and I would leave to Eric Cardell to represent the interest of his client. He's filed for appeal of the judge's uh, rejection of intervention on the part of the county attorney in, the, uh, in this case as well. But in our instance, we're not asserting an absence of jurisdiction. We're not asserting the same arguments at all that Mr. Cardell is asserting. We are asserting the simple fact that it's the parents' rights. They're the real parties and interests, a phrase that lawyers use, as opposed to the representatives of those interests like state officials and the attorney general. We're the real people that will be harmed if this opinion goes into effect. These are the women and in fact, frankly, in this room, some of the men will be deprived of their rights as fathers and mothers to know that their young daughters are getting abortion. They'll be deprived of the 48 hours to counsel them. They'll be deprived, even in those instances, of the assurance that where the young girl is excused from parental notification under the law, that the physician caring for her will give her adequate information and will at least allow her time to make a decision outside of the panic and feelings of fear and stress when she actually visits the clinic or the representative of the clinic on the phone the first time. So I step up and take a call. Can you say where was this filed at the Court of Appeals or is this a, a new intervention motion with Ramsey County? That it is an intervention motion that was filed at the district court level. We will, if, if allowed to participate in the case, we will file what's called a Rule 60 motion, not to get too technical on you, I apologize, but in that we will ask the court to relieve my client, moms, the association, of the judgment so that we may enter new evidence. We have offered to the court already uh, 12 declarations, 11 of them experts, one from my client establishing that the, uh, the associational interest in the case. Uh, so we have already offered what's called a proffer of evidence so that the judge can see that we are prepared to litigate the minute he lets us in this case. And do you need the Court of Appeals to stop its clock? Obviously yesterday was the last day to file an appeal in the case and main case at hand here. Do you need them to give you any kind of special dispensation to keep the appeal? We do not. Uh, 
the Minnesota rules allow it for a year to file a Rule 60 motion, and if that Rule 60 motion to reopen and to present new evidence, then we begin, we're in the trial court's jurisdiction, and depending on the outcome of that, we would still have the ability to appeal the decision that applies to us. The, the Rule 60 motion goes before the district judge? Yes, sir. Is an appealable decision? Yes, sir. As is our motion to intervene. I can tell I'm around reporters that have covered the law. <laughs> is there, it seems like a crummy way to make policy in court. This is Amen. Where, <laughs> this is where abortion policy has been for you know, all of our lives, right? Um, is, there, is there another way this can be tackled? And I don't know if, if you're the right person to be answering that, being a, a lawyer, but I mean, <laughs> you know, the legislature is where things are supposed to be tackled, but you have it, it's up against a state Supreme Court interpretation of the Constitution, which leaves you only with really constitutional amendments to, to clarify this stuff one way or the other. Is, is there any desire to, to try to go that route? It's a high the particular issue that my clients have come to me about is not Doe versus Gomez per se, which is the issue that you're, and, and frankly, it's important for Minnesotans to know that in that case, the Attorney General at that time didn't contest that the Constitution had, which is a very odd situation to have the parties not contest something that important. But nonetheless, that our intervention is simply saying that under Doe versus Gomez, properly interpreted, that two-parent notification with exceptions, that informed consent, that waiting periods, and that the physician-only requirements are all constitutional and in accordance with the Dovey Gomez opinion. The uh, must be done in hospitals, you guys are not contesting? That, that was not? That is correct. Yeah, that was not enforced uh, Well, actually the Attorney General, among the other one of the few documents he did uh, provide that had any evidentiary value is a statement that the Office of the Attorney General had never enforced any of these laws over the extended period they'd been on the books. All right, this concludes the press conference today. If you have any other questions, please feel free to send them to me. Renee Carlson, you should have that in the press advisory. We thank you all for coming and taking an interest in this significant case. The moms behind me, thank you for your interest in this significant case. listening to or watching this episode of the Family Beacon podcast from Minnesota Family Council. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you're up to date on life, family, and religious freedom. You can follow us on Instagram at MN Family Council and subscribe to us on YouTube to watch our content. Get the facts, stand for truth.